The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tuesday night edition of the Dunk Talk Basketball Podcast. The lottery is in the books. We're really excited to talk about that. Probably our biggest thing. We also got to talk about an absolute beatdown by the Warriors over the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard. And then also we're going to get into our draft prospect series. We're going to hope to get to about the top 10 or so projected prospects, give you our scouting report on them. Today we're going to do Jason Tatum, currently projected between like three and five on a lot of the mock drafts. A small forward prospect out of Duke. We're sponsored today by SeatGeek. Use the cap space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Actually, someone tweeted me today that they're able to use that to get tickets to game one of the East Finals using that cap space code. So let's get started with the lottery. And I think we'll save this towards the end, Danny, but I wanted to say like our top like three favorite moments of the telecast so we could save that until the end. But why don't we just go through and uh, give us, since you are, uh, of course, the expert here, just an overview of uh, the results. So the only big jump was actually Sacramento going all the way from eight. They had the eighth best lottery odds to three, but because of the trade that Sam Hankey and Vlade Divac did on July 1st, 2015, that gave the Sixers swap rights that we didn't expect them to exercise, that meant that the Kings had the fifth pick and the Sixers had the third pick. And then in front of that, the Los Angeles Lakers will choose second, and the Boston Celtics will choose third. Or sorry, first. I can get that right. It's a small detail. Yeah, so I'll give you what my my three favorite moments were because I just can't wait any longer. Number one, of course, was the Kings given a 0.0% chance of the top pick. <laughs> <laughs> with that that graphic in front of an unsmiling Dave Yeager I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it uh, because of course they had the swap rights that they owed to the Sixers from uh, the Carl Landry Nick Stauskas Jason Thompson trade number two was Joel Embiid having no idea what was going on when Sacramento got the number five pick and all of us had to be like okay what does that mean oh it means Philly now is in the top three but that's because they got Sacramento's pick that got up there and then they were able to do the swap rights and then number three was after the lottery luke walton saying that the basketball gods helped the lakers because they didn't tank by winning their last five games yeah that those were all certainly interesting experiences i mean I actually, you know, because you were sitting next to me, I actually yelled when the Knicks came across the board because I had been, I'd been following along. And so you kind of say, okay, this is what's going to be there. And that was one of the ones that I had earmarked as like, oh, this is going to be really crazy if it happens. The other one in that part of the draft was if we saw Dallas instead of New Orleans, because then New Orleans would have jumped into the top three and kept their pick. Because those were the two that also involved protection and swaps and, you know, interesting teams. So big dynamic there. But as great as those moments were, they lent themselves to a truly intriguing top of the draft with the Boston Celtics being both the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and having the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, and actually, this was the third year in a row that we went to that commercial before finding out the top three with the Lakers, Celtics, and Sixers in some order going to be the top three teams, uh, which I, I thought was interesting. The Lakers, this is now the third year in a row that they have gotten the number one pick. I know you're trying to transition to the Celtics. We, we, I think we'll we'll get to that momentarily. Uh, but for the Lakers, this is great for them, obviously, because as we've said many times, but just to reiterate, not only do they keep their pick this year, which was top three protected, but now their 2019 pick that they owe 
to Orlando cannot be conveyed and now turns into a second rounder because 2019 is the latest that could go off of the 2012 Dwight Howard trade seven years out so the trade has to be completed within seven years and so they can't trade their number one pick in 2019 because the 2018 pick goes unprotected to the Sixers next year so a disaster for Orlando they did not move up they got knocked down a peg and to also then lose that 2019 pick when you know the Lakers might not even be that good even even then uh was too bad and now news coming out afterwards LeVar Ball saying that Lonzo Ball and Paris the thought that we actually had to say LeVar's Ball's name on this podcast but you know it is what it is uh Lonzo Ball now will only work out for the Lakers he said so they won't even he won't even work out for the Celtics uh you want they wants Lonzo apparently or LeVar and Lonzo wanted to go number two to the Lakers stay in LA and uh that's probably a pretty damn good business decision uh for him rather than going to the Celtics when you know he might not even play that much uh especially because you know if he's gonna his fit with Isaiah Thomas is probably a lot worse than Marco Fultz's it certainly would make sense considering they have a baller brand to embiggen to keep it there and (laughs) embiggen embiggen and also Lonzo isn't just a lot of people use the just kind of oh a guy went to UCLA he's an LA kid no Lonzo Ball went to Chino Hills like he is from that area it is that, that you know it is really one of those circumstances where a guy you know would be playing close to home it would be a meaningful thing that said I don't think the lack of working out would necessarily prevent the Celtics or if somebody theoretically ended else ended up with the number one pick from picking Lonzo Ball there is footage to work from but we'll have to see and do you want to talk about the Celtics part of it that I tried to tee up earlier yeah sorry I was I was at 12 50 a.m I, I was a little disjointed <laughs> no, that's fine. But, well uh, the last thing on the Lakers Luke Walton saying they won their last five games and they didn't tank so the gods were rewarding them number one they really tried to tank for those games and they won them anyway and number two they started shutting players down and taking their asses off in like february so uh yeah but yeah, they were no, still sorry. later than they were still later than the suns though so no i don't think so. i think the dang and mozgov thing actually happened earlier than like Bledsoe and them got shut down you, you could be right it, i i'm too tired to check i think that was it was like early march and like february and february respectively for uh the suns and lakers uh yeah we should talk about the suns too but they're in in really an interesting spot now not necessarily in a good way for boston though my thought here and i tweeted this at the time was that this actually makes the trade of this pick and acquiring jimmy butler or paul george less likely i think if they had gotten two or or if definitely if they had gotten like three or below i don't know what they think of you know lonzo ball i i think it definitely seems like just in terms of fit that faults would be superior and i think uh you know the especially this lonzo not working out thing and just generally think how, how they want to play i think that, that Fultz is a better fit there uh do you agree with me that this makes it less likely that they acquire paul george or jimmy butler now i do i think back to casey johnson mentioned after the after the lottery results came out that boston had always insisted on including protection on this pick in the jimmy butler negotiations should when you know when the, when those happen during this past season and now you don't even have to think about that protection because they got the pick that they were going to try to protect the whole time and i also think that in terms of value depends on with what you how you see with marco fultz but not only do you get four years plus restricted free agency with him but you have a player who has a, a truly fascinating upside and ceiling and so i think you can make a good argument that even if he's far less of a sure thing than jimmy butler when you look at the landscape of the nba right now that the risk proposition is very different than it would be for some for other situations so that leaves a couple of options here now maybe you could say and, and you know we'll see what happens in free agency i mean this only makes them more appealing in free agency now i mean a big couple of days for them winning game seven getting to the east finals and then getting the number one pick like now they look a lot better in free agency if you're a, a gordon hayward and you want to try and be on a team that's going to be able to compete for a long time to come and it really you know is going to look like especially if hayward goes there at some point lebron's got to start falling off and uh, clearly the celtics appear most poised to move into that power vacuum 
So you could see a couple of things. Maybe if they get Hayward in free agency, then they might be more willing to just trade that 2018 Nets pick. And maybe that could be enough. Maybe that would be more likely to happen at the trade deadline. Uh, but maybe, you know, with the Nets having been so bad these last two years that maybe, you know, the thought is we can get more value now because people are going to assume they're going to be really bad, like before free agency happens and maybe the Nets get another player. And, you know, if they keep Lynn or, or Brooke Lopez, they, they start to look pretty good. Uh, I mean, relative to what they were this year and, you know, they could be the sixth pick or something next year. Then again, they could also trade Lynn and Lopez, in which case that would, uh, they'd be right back where they started. So that could be a thought. Another thing I would, at least be calling on right now if i were them is just trying to find even someone beyond the level of a paul george or, or jimmy butler who might be available in a trade like maybe i would start thinking about hey new orleans how about we offer you this pick and the next nets pick for anthony davis you know like those type of trades which probably would never be actually accepted especially with new orleans you know having traded for cousins if they make that trade that probably means they lose cousins as well but maybe they could just go ahead and trade Duran drag cousins away again um you know that might be the the type of thing that just off the wall thought that i could consider like that's the type of trade that never happens you know nobody's really that aggressive um and then is there anyone else in that vein though that you would just if you had this pick that you would offer that pick for that might some reasonably come there or or, or, or reasonably could be traded how do you feel about john wall well john wall and isaiah aren't that great a fit i mean the your idea no, no, is, that's not what i'm saying the idea is that he's cost controlled for for an extra year yeah and and he's younger and you know you could see it i mean yeah although you lose the problem there is you lose the ability to give anyone a designated veteran extension uh once you acquire them in trade unless they're on a rookie contract or you know or maybe even you know would minnesota they wouldn't think about it for carl towns probably no um i'm trying to think well, of like who I, I know else people have said porzingis around. but i feel like that pick is more valuable than porzingis oh yeah yeah I, absolutely not not even close in my mind and, and we'll see whether i feel that way after i really watch the film on Marco Fultz uh, and Lonzo Ball as well but uh, as of right now I mean I think if you just take average value of a number one pick or Porzingis especially considering Porzingis is two years into his career and has had like you know some nagging injury problems uh, yeah I definitely think so Um, anyone else come to mind we could save some of this for their offseason preview too no I think Russell Westbrook I don't think I think Russ I mean there's the whole thing in terms of his designated veteran extension yeah I, I think that there's this group of guys that are really really good but that it's not enough for like Giannis and Carl Towns we already mentioned and so yeah. those type of those type of guys I think are a little a little class above and so I don't know how much space there is between Jimmy Butler and those guys especially when you consider that a lot of the other all NBA players are up for free agency right now you know guys like Steph Curry Chris Paul Kevin Durant so those guys aren't available for trades at all yeah that that's a great point too i mean ad is really kind of the only one uh and there is something to be said for the idea that i bet you that if markel fultz spends a year on the celtics his trade value is a lot lower a year from now than if he was just the number one pick because he's probably you know it's not going to be the main guy it's gonna be the same thing as jalen brown this year except you know probably even more extreme perhaps when you're talking about someone who's the number one pick so i wonder if kp is going to be able to get them to change their colors or at least add some purple to their to their palette considering the washington point guards that are now assembling there oh yeah he he may move to boston actually i think at this point uh that, that could very easily happen uh all right we, we'll uh we'll talk more about the lottery still got some other stuff we got to get to as well but first this is from our friends at SeatGeek. as i mentioned in the open got a tweet today from a happy user who got his 20 dollar rebate off his first SeatGeek purchase which in fact was to go and see celtics Cavs game one tomorrow at boston garden and the two reasons why you want to go with SeatGeek, number one, they rank every ticket based on value. So that means if you see just generally your section, you can just pick on the one that has the best value in the section you want to look at without having to compare all of them and decide, all right, is it worth another 10 bucks to sit three rows closer? SeatGeek will tell you which ticket is more appropriately priced and you can just click on that one and trust their algorithms. I know Danny worked in the ticket industry. He's a, a big fan of uh, the way that they 
rank tickets. And then the other thing is that they aggregate ticket buying sites together. So you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites and worry that you're missing out on a deal by not going to other ones. So it just saves you time. Like buying tickets, I used to always stress out. I'd be like, all right, you know, did I am I getting the best deal? Is this really the best way to do it? Especially like if you're buying for like a group of your friends or something, it's like, all right, you know, I'm responsible here. They're going to pay me back. I got to do a really good job, like getting everyone the best deal. Like now I just peace of mind with SeatGeek. You can just do it in like a two minute process. It's so much easier. So the way to get started with them, download the SeatGeek app, go into the settings tab, click on add a promo code, enter that familiar promo code cap space, which of course we talk about all the time in the program. That's easy to remember. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek using that familiar cap space code. So the Kings, actually, I thought made out better than they could have. I mean, they got 5 and 10. They were slated, if everything just went chalk, to get 8 and 10. So even though they had to swap with Philly, they only lost two spots in that. And so, you know, it really uh, wasn't the end of the world. Although, again, you know, the genius of Sam Hinkie, Philly would be sitting at five right now had they not gotten those swap rights, which, you know, there was really no reason for Sacramento to have to throw in except that Sam Hinkie asked and they gave it to him. It's strange because I think both teams to a point can be happy about where they turned out. It's just it's sort of a weird arbitrage thing just because of the way Sacramento moved up relative to their expectations. So if we expect, obviously, we don't know for sure that Ball and Fultz are going to go one and two. The Sixers are in this interesting spot because they're basically kind of the straight up best player available, but also they're the spot for if any other team falls in love with somebody because they're probably nobody's going to probably be able to trade into the top two you know maybe you can trade you can't trade up to it maybe you can trade an, an existing asset there so whoever you know if a team says oh man josh jackson's our guy De'Aaron fox is our guy whoever they can do that through the sixers they can negotiate that or if they have a certain player that they fall for of course they can do that too and then the kings we don't know exactly again how all this is going to turn out but one of their biggest needs is is a point guard of the future. They have guys like Darren Collison that they've been able to work through. I thought they got more out of Ty Lawson than we expected, but they do have that need. You know, they've put a ton of resources into centers and, and other positions, but they need they need a one, and it looks like they will have some capable options. Yeah, well, they also need a two and a three, but uh, yeah, I think it's quite possible. I mean, according to Draft Express right now, they've got Josh Jackson going three to the Sixers, Tatum going four to the Suns, and so so they'll have their pick among De'Aaron Fox or Dennis Smith if they want to, or, or uh, Frank Kilatina or Tilakina, sorry, uh, as a potential option. They could get some scoring with Malik Monk as well, go the combo forward with Jonathan Isaac. So they'll be in a pretty decent position to get a player who will fit a need you know because they have needs everywhere except at big man so uh but that that'll work out better for them uh i mean especially i think having one of those probably at least two of those three point guards available you wouldn't imagine that the suns will be taking four guard oh maybe they would i don't know we'll talk about them in a second uh but yeah i think they're they're in better shape than they could have hoped and the wolves are going to be in interesting shape as well you know at number seven who are they going to go to the magic uh malik monk seems like a decent fit there just because they desperately need more scoring uh but you know i think you're gonna have to go best player available and i think a lot of these guys you know there doesn't seem to be to me and, and this is before having watched a ton of film but just what i generally know about these guys a ton of separation below the top two i mean i think that a number of these guys could emerge into potentially being in contention for that number three pick and that leads to a circumstance that i just love in a draft which is where a bunch of guys are are pretty even but different teams have different preferences because that can open the door for for trades and for judgment calls and so there are very different reasons you know maybe somebody loves dennis smith's potential somebody loves john isaac i mean i've i've seen both those guys in person i like both of those guys though i need to watch more film of course and the maybe the team sitting there at six and they go oh my god i can't i can't worry i don't want to worry about him falling to us so they move up or something like that and so that leads to a more fun draft which is always intriguing and also if those players are more even then you can watch their early time and then you know as they get a little bit older with the eye of hey these guys were considered around the same place let's see who turns out to be better so i guess phoenix 
I mean, it definitely seems like their number one need is a three. I mean, they have TJ Warren, but I'm not sure. He seems kind of more of a fit as a six man on a good team. But you could also make the argument that they need a point guard with Eric Bledsoe, a potential trade candidate now. I think I would think very seriously now about moving him. And if they do draft a point guard, the writing is going to be on the wall for that uh, pretty early. And Bledsoe could be an important trade piece at that point. I mean, they still have Knight as well that they're going to try and move. I mean, that's think of like how many options Phoenix has gone through at point guard over just these last few years since the Steve Nash era. I mean, with Dragic, Dragic and Bledsoe, it's like we got too many point guards. Now we're going to bring in Isaiah. Then we get rid of both Dragic and Isaiah so we can get Brandon Knight. And then, you know, he, he, doesn't work out at all now they've got tyler Ulis, and maybe they even draft another point guard after that like it'll be really interesting to see what they do you know i could definitely see them going with kind of the safe choice but you know again i mean i, I don't see a game changer for there for them at four and it's something to think about where all this tanking all the pain that the suns the lakers in particular they were the two most egregious tankers this year subjected their fans to and you know the suns like didn't even get what they wanted you know, and it, hilariously, if they had actually let the Lakers pass them, they would have actually gone up to number two. So it's important to remember, like, yeah, this is the right thing to do to tank for sure. Like, you should do it. It maximizes your odds. There's nothing else to play for. You can develop guys. But yeah, it's not a sure thing to work, even so. And that's kind of, you know, why the lottery exists. The balance they're always trying to strike is to, since they value guys going on to worse teams, or at least giving those teams the option if they trade it away, and incentivizing it to directly to to make teams just have to do that behavior we still think it's the right decision in a lot of these circumstances and they should change i believe they should change the incentive structure if you want to know my thoughts on that you can read them various places including sport news but i, I want to kind of talk a little bit about orlando you mentioned it at the opening in terms of the lakers part of it but this is a really rough night for them in a way that i think is underappreciated because it's not just that they you know that their pick fell but they lost the an unprotected protected Lakers pick. This wasn't even a circumstance yeah. of like, oh, it could be something else. That was going to be an unprotected pick. It's it's very possible the Lakers in the 2018-19 season are very good. You know, like that we we are, have to be open to that possibility. Uh, I'll but, say I'll say it's possible that they're good. Yes. Very good, I think is pretty unlikely to me, but we'll see. But the the whole thing about that is you know it's so now it converts to two second round picks the first of those is conveying this year and that is a significant change in value and also you know i think that's kind of the virtue to a point of the 7 year rule is that you force these teams to negotiate in positions without completely like hamstringing their future from Philly's perspective, would you have rather had you know, the number four or five pick this year? Or would you rather have just Lotto Lakers totally unprotected next year? I think I might actually rather have next year, to be honest, especially knowing that they got into the top three this year on their own. Like, what, why not just spread those out a little bit more just in terms of like the contracts that you're well, going to have to pay? Not only that, but remember that they have another unprotected pick the year after. <laughs> right so so oh what that means gosh. that what so what that means for the sixers is they have these they have additional bites at the apple and i wrote the uh lakers offseason preview for sports illustrated tonight and it'll go up most of you will be up by the time you listen to this podcast and a part of what i how i phrased it is that they need to use this year this not this offseason but the upcoming season to really evaluate what they have and to figure yeah. out who fits well, in and, and magic has already said basically we don't expect to be active in the free agent market this year we think it's gonna be next summer right and he and that's an intelligent that's an intelligent place for them to yeah. be that's what they should have done last year and didn't do yeah and, and that's and, also maybe a time at which it might make more sense to try to dump dang or Mozgov because they'll only have two years left in their deal at that point right and so it could just be that the lakers while they don't actively tank they just aren't focusing on it and they're they're pretty much indifferent and so what that could lead to is a circumstance where they're on the low end of it for a while and then maybe as teams just start deliberately eating it they they end up losing lottery odds because of that and then Sixers fans will have much heartbreak but I still think that's that's intriguing and we'll have to see how they feel about the players in this in this draft because that's the other part of this is beauties in the eye of the beholder but I think that the prospect of you know jumping into the the top two or the top three is is worth that difference unless there's somebody sitting there at four or five that they, that they just 
just have their heart set on. Yeah, I mean, like if you had to guess, you know, I'd say maybe like their median pick or their median finish last year next year is like you know fifth or sixth worth worst record in the league god i can't even talk right now and i might even have it a little bit worse than that just because and then you throw in plus you know the chance of getting number one because this year of course it was protected top three so you had no chance of getting in the top three like now you've got you know you've probably got median pick five and then you've got you know a 30 percent chance or whatever it is of it being top three which you didn't have this year yeah it's it's certainly compelling and the sixers are are as we, we talked about for a long time, they're in a really good place. And I have long been obsessed with the idea of teams that have options in the draft, high-end options that are not tied to their own fortunes. And this is one of the best parts for Boston as it turned out. And I, we neither of us expected the Nets to be to have produced so little value and have been so awful as quickly as they were. But Boston has benefited immensely from that, that they can do their thing, they can win, and then it doesn't affect this really high-end asset at all. And they they ended up really cashing out on it. But those possibilities just open the door. And for the Sixers, that also takes the sting, theoretically, out of winning in the short term. You know, let's say they wanted one more guy, but all of a sudden they end up, you know, they go on like a, they win 10 out of 15 in February of next year. They're not going, damn, we really screwed our pick because they're like, oh, we still have this one from the Lakers. All right, let's move on to tonight's game. An absolute laugher. It was 33 to 17 at this end of the first quarter. 72-44 at halftime. The Warriors put up a 153 offensive rating. The Spurs scored only 19 points on their first 30 possessions of the game, at which point I think it was 42-19, and the night it was absolutely over. The Spurs just could not score until the Warriors just kind of stopped trying as much defensively, and the Spurs still couldn't really score after that. It was basically John Simmons going one-on-one was about all they had. So... I don't want to hit on too much in this game. I mean, I think the place to start, though, is just that Steph Curry at this point is having an absolutely ridiculous playoff run that's gone totally under the radar because they're winning every game, which almost makes it like there's less attention on their series and they're not going deep into series, so no one's really looking at it that much. But let me give you his averages over the course of the playoffs so far. He's averaging 29 points in 35 minutes. 44% from three, getting the foul line for seven attempts a game, which has been big. He's actually been getting like the bullshit free throwing now. 67% true shooting, 30% usage, and a net rating of 24.6 when he's on the floor. And also actually only turning it over on 9.4% of his possessions and getting 12% of defensive rebounds, which is outstanding as well 122.8 offensive rating when Steph Curry is on the floor 98.3 defense rating which he is not a huge part of but certainly contributes to uh the Warriors have just been absolutely dominant and he I think he's only had really one bad game which was that game three at Utah and even that one he came through in the fourth quarter to put Utah away anyway yeah, his bad game, he had 11 points in the fourth quarter, so worked out okay. This game, 29 points, 8 of 13 from the field, 6 of 9 from 3, 7 of 7 from the line in three quarters. He didn't play the fourth because the only guys who played in the fourth were Draymond and Clay, and that's for, that was like a Steve Kerr tribute that he, that Mike Brown did that. Yeah, yeah, with a 29-point lead. Yeah. Against a, te- against a team that you have bad blood with because you injured their best player on a somewhat dirty play the, the game before. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have left those guys in that long but you know it's uh i mean i think he is clay in particular i think he wanted to get in a rhythm that's another issue that has been discussed a lot is this idea that clay is struggling and he certainly is right that he's averaging a very low number of field goal attempts but i think teams are just trying to take him away the spurs in particular and you know they're putting danny green on him they had john simmons on kd to start the game obviously there's a lot of switching involved when you're playing against the warriors but fine i mean like to me everyone's like oh he's playing so poorly all right, his defense has been great. They're not leaving him at all. So fine, you want to play four on four with, uh, we have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant on our team? Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> like, go go stick to Klay Thompson like Lou in the corner. I mean, the team, I mean, to me, especially with a shooter like that, you got to look at more than just how he's shooting. He's not shooting it great, but as long as the team is scoring well, I don't think you need to worry about it. You know, and as soon as they adjust to try and take away Steph Curry or Kevin Durant more, uh, then Klay Thompson is going to get more open shots. Like, I wouldn't be like oh my god clay's not getting enough shots like we got to run more plays for him like everything's working great so i'm not too concerned 
Something else that you noted during the game, and I, I have two stats on it that I think are interesting. San Antonio, in the first half, they shot 6 of 16 in the restricted area. That's, they were 1 of 8 at one point, actually. Right. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, they were 1 of 8 at one point. But also, thanks to the player tracking stuff on NBA.com, the Spurs were 1 of 10 at the rim with Draymond Green contesting. Oh, wow. And the Spurs were a little shook. Like They missed some pretty easy ones a little bit, but a lot of it was like really difficult uh, contest. And Draymond, of course, they mostly guarded LaMarcus with their centers. But when Draymond was on him, LaMarcus, you know, is really has never really been able to do well against Draymond. The only way he does well is like when they run a quick duck and play on an ATO. And Draymond, you know, again, came up the first bucket of the second half with, with that. But, you know, overall, that's not a, a huge issue. And oh, we should t- we should talk about Jonathan Simmons, though. Yeah, yeah, I, d- I did mention him. Uh, but let's finish up with Aldridge first, though, because sure. people have been killing him. He was four for 11 in this one in 27 minutes, only at eight points. And people were like, all right, you know, he looks shook out there uh you know he can't score and, and he's bobbling the ball and what's going on and he did say after the game essentially that his strategy was to go out and try and get everyone involved but he needs to take more shots even if they're bad shots you know with with Kawhi out but even so that may be the case I mean I didn't think he was like passing up wide open shots so that's what Pop said so maybe maybe I just didn't see it as much I thought he had a couple of like open pick and pop jumpers that he could have taken early um and, and definitely you got to take those because you're not especially with Kawhi out you're just not getting a better shot against Golden State later in the possession like the longer you go into the possession against Golden State like the better off they are because you're just going to have to try and beat someone one-on-one and they have great individual defenders and great help defenders but I think people who are expecting LaMarcus Aldridge to just like carry this Spurs offense to an efficient performance against one of the greatest defenses of all time. I mean, he's 31. He wasn't an all-star this year. He didn't deserve to be an all-star this year. And even at his peak, he you know was like a lower rung all-star. You know, he wasn't like a guy who anyone was ever talking about as a top 10 player in the league. So why is everyone killing him all of a sudden? It's like, you know, if you're expecting him to just like carry this Spurs offense, against golden state like your expectations are just unrealistic like that's just not who he is and i grant granny didn't play incredibly well in this game but like if you're saying like he should be dropping 35 on these guys like that's just not going to happen especially not when san antonio's surrounding talent is insufficient to punish the warriors for giving him extra attention when warranted like they they, they put themselves or sorry, not they put themselves, they are just in a situation where there isn't really a reasonable path forward. And LaMarcus Aldridge shooting a little bit more, I don't think that's going to make their offense substantially more efficient. So they just kind of have to have to grin and bear it, hope that their defense creates a few more opportunities. But another kind of crazy part about this game is that while a fair portion of it came in garbage time, the Spurs had 22 offensive rebounds in this game. I just saw that. I didn't even notice that. Like there are definitely they, were a few, but, so, then, but they just, how many second chance points did they have? Oh, though? it's amazing. You, if you didn't see this so this the spurs oh, had 22 offensive rebounds they were six of 21 on their field goal attempts on second chance shots that's unbelievable because generally of course uh, offensive rebounds you're not quite as efficient on an offensive rebound as you are after a steal but it's definitely the second most efficient play type and you know that's obviously because you get the offensive board and you're right by the rim usually uh but yeah that played in of course of their horrible shooting at the rim that's pretty remarkable i've never seen a stat like that before and golden state for their part the Spurs cannot win if they're going to give up 37 three-point attempts in this game. I mean, you remember that in the first half of game one, I think they only gave up something like eight threes in the, in the first half attempts, you know? And so when Golden State got up nine attempts in the first quarter and made six of them, you knew that it was going to be a long night. I mean, but like, you know, when they're getting out in transition, I mean, another interesting thing that I saw was I think Golden State has something like 61 points off the 38 Spurs turnovers in this series. So they're basically scoring like 1.75 points per possession yeah. off turnover. And that's, and that's includes dead ball turnovers too, which is like th- that stat is really, I've always hated that, that stat. It should be points off steals because a turn, a dead ball turnover is just so different than a steal. But yeah. I was talking with Adam Wardson, another another guy who was at the game, and he said that from his memory, the Warriors scored 12 points on the first four Spurs turnovers because they all turned into threes that were made. Yeah, and stuff. He had four threes in the first quarter. He was on fire. It was just, there's no way for Spurs to deal with it. Also, Patrick McCaw had a great game, 18 points, six of eight from the field, three of four on threes, uh, played some really nice defense, five assists, three steals for him. Uh, I thought he 
showed some nice playmaking chops he's really showing a lot more burst off the dribble than he did early in the season as well what did you think of pop's comments about nobody else came to play except for jonathan simmons basically and we he didn't think that we had the belief that we could win it did seem like they got deflated not at the very beginning of the game but after the there was a stretch i think they were down about eight midway through the first quarter and then the warriors went on another little run and you kind of saw their offense and defense get a little bit worse from that point but i don't know if it was really a lack of belief or if it was just that they kind of knew at that point like either belief is important especially like that that helped fuel their game that they had in in game six against the rockets but you can reach a point where belief isn't that useful and it's just kind of you know you're getting outclassed and you know that there are more games in the series and i don't know i i think that that's a little bit different but i understand why a coach wants to say that so that they come out in game three with some real fire yeah i thought pop i mean once they got down he coached like the game was over you know Manu Ginobili played five minutes in this game David Lee played five minutes in this game because you know, I, I, whether he wanted to just save those guys because he knew it was out of reach, Gasol only played 16 Green minutes. Patty Mills played 21. in the first quarter. Uh, no, it was, oh, sorry, it, was the, it was the second quarter. Yeah, he got Close like enough. what would have been Ginobili's minutes. You know, they're already down by 20, and I think Pop was just like, all right, why bother here? You know, we need him for game three. Danny Green only played seven minutes. I mean, Danny Green is their second best player uh, with Kawhi out of the game. So, uh, although Pop may not see it that way. So, yeah, and John Simmons, the reason he had such a good game, I mean, he had some incredible incredible shot making just like tough jumpers he made like a running hook shot on the baseline that he just didn't even use the glass on over Kevin Durant I mean he was making some crazy shots but like no one else on this team at all could do anything off the dribble except for him I mean it's pretty crazy uh, that how just how limited they are offensively and and they did miss Tony Parker to some extent at least he could have like kind of gotten into the paint but he's still pretty switchable against this Warriors I mean they just they don't have anywhere to go. I mean, it's Aldridge in the post. They got plenty of guys to stone him in the in the post. He's not going to be efficient there. They got a ton of guys who can give help and retreat back to their men. Even with Andre Guadal out, they have plenty of options defensively. And then, you know, talking about being able to defend the Warriors, there was just no chance either. Right? We probably spent enough time on this game. Um, let's talk about Jason Tatum. Uh, our first time looking at a draft prospect this year, Tatum out of duke just turned 19 he's pretty young uh as draft prospects go even as as freshmen 6 8 6 11 wingspan got an 8 10 standing reach which is uh totally solid seems like a guy who might be able to play some combo forward in time that said i still was like not that fired up for him to be honest uh and i'll start with the things that he does well he's an excellent rebounder for his size he definitely like gets his i think he can hold up as a rebounder at the four position you know if he's going to play some small ball four he also is excellent at creating his shot in the mid-range although worth noting that he was doing that generally against college players and i thought that his footwork out of jab step situations was excellent he had really good kind of jimmy butler style footwork where he's able to get his guy off balance and then rise up for the jumper pretty well those are the things i thought he does really well but when you're talking about him if you to me if you're drafting a wing in the top five where he's getting talked about i'm not really sure if i see like superstar potential in him i like to break especially wings out into three basic groups and that's like basically can you run an offense can you be a go-to scorer even against good competition and can you be a high quality defender either in a man-to-man construct or in a team construct give flexibility why i am uncomfortable with tatum as being a really high pick and and we can make a discussion about what counts as a really high pick is that i don't feel comfortable with him checking any of those boxes in the nba he can do that in other places and what he makes me think of a lot is aaron gordon and they're not the same player because gordon is a way better athlete i think of gordon as just like he's a way better athlete and tatum has a better floor game and that's good you know you can build on that you can you can do some things with it but that athleticism gives gordon the ability to to finish in some circumstances over over high-end competition because you th- think about the athlete jump from any college conference to the NBA from even to even facing second unit guys and the idea that some of the four game things that Tatum is good at are just going to be de-emphasized if he is not so good that the ball is going to be in his hands frequently 
Yeah, like an Aaron Gordon, for example, has much more defensive upside. I mean, I think of Tatum's athleticism as pretty similar to like an Otto Porter. I don't. I think they have relatively similar bodies. Tatum's stronger than Porter. So if you imagine like Otto Porter, Porter has become an excellent jump shooter, but he was, you know, he was more of a mid-range guy in college, kind of the same as Tatum, and then t- his sophomore year he shot better on threes but not a ton of volume and he's still not at a ton of volume tatum i think is more skilled with the ball in his hands he actually showed some pretty nice passing ability at times that it wasn't like unbelievable but for a guy who's six eight i thought you know he actually was competently able to run a pick and roll and make a pass or make some nice passes in transition and he's got that jab step game you think he's he could be someone especially in mismatches where you could get the switch maybe go down to him in the post and he could get it you know a decent fadeaway jumper late in the clock you know and he's pretty money on those shots but his quickness to me was a real issue in terms of really being again one of those elite guys like I I struggled to think of a comp for him just because he doesn't who as a wing who's become a star with his type of athleticism I, I would say he's even like a notch below like a Paul Pierce type of athleticism or a Carmelo Anthony type of athleticism. And maybe if he could get as strong as those guys to where he could really kind of bully guys, create space, uh, and, and get to the foul line more, getting to the rim. Like the, both Pierce and Anthony, for example, were great guys getting to the foul line. Just didn't really quite see that level of pure scoring with Tatum. And, and not only is he not incredibly quick getting to the basket, right? Like one of the things I always look at, I call this like the Evan Turner rule, where if you see your your guy this guy on college film if he's not able to beat his initial man if you see him having to like spin back a lot you know or just like kind of pull up over the guy after knocking him backwards like if you're really a guy against college players like you should be able to blow by your initial man and i almost never saw that for him like he would use great footwork to create space initially but usually the guy could catch up and kind of get in front of him and then you know, Tatum would have to just shoot over him or go to a spin move or make a pass. That was one concern. Another big concern is his jump shot. He shoots kind of out in front of his body, a long release, does not look comfortable taking spot ups, not a great three-point shooter uh, off the bounce either. And that's at the college level. And just the way his mechanics are, he's got kind of these long mechanics. I think he's going to need to do a little bit of reworking to shoot the NBA three comfortably and effectively. He's not a guy. And remember all these guys, these wing guys at Duke too, they're placed in the perfect situation. They got a ton of shooting around them. They're running a ton of pick and roll. He's matched up against college power forwards a lot of times. Like, you know, remember how good like Justice Winslow, for example, looked in that system. Uh, So his shooting, you know, he doesn't project to me as an elite shooter. He's kind of more of like a, you know, a a guy who I think gets to a spot in the range. I mean, maybe if he could develop into a really good shooter, maybe he could become sort of more like a Joe Johnson type of guy. You know, like he's got like that kind of pace to him. But I don't think he's the passer or ball handler that Joe Johnson was. Doesn't have as many moves. Not the same shooter. Doesn't have like the floater game. Doesn't have the strength that Joe Johnson did either. I mean, Joe Johnson, uh, you know, ended up getting pretty quickly into his career was like, you know, 235. So I don't any reaction to all that, Danny? With Tatum, it's a probability game because there is a way that he can succeed. But I don't think it's a bet that you want to make high in the draft because you look for guys that have succeeded similarly, as you talked about the idea of player comps. That the kind of it's kind of the idea of like stereotypes, you know, there are certain types of stereotypes that do have been that do have beneficial value because it allows you to kind of see that. And so player comps can do the same thing. And I'm encouraged by the fact that he did hit his free throws at a reasonable rate, you know, 85 percent, not bad, 4.8 a game. But I worry about a couple of big, big things with him. One is, as you talked about, the favorable system is a huge problem because if you, especially if you think of him as a three, he's going to get the defenders that are on him are going to be worlds better than the players that he faced in the ACC. But even if you see him as a four, I would say by and large, the defenders are substantially better. You know, it's not the, it's not the, the difference that you see at, well, and and then his post game doesn't work if if he's playing at the four. I think that's what his big thing. He's one 
1.3 points per possession on 33 post-ups. That's obviously a small number. And that still generally is him going to a fadeaway jumper. It's not him like powering in through guys either. We I didn't see very much of that at all. And eventually, you know, maybe you can, if you do it on mismatches and you can use, if he gets to be good enough as a screener that you can use him and he can be kind of a versatile as a, as a screener role or screen and pop guy, that would be great. But I also haven't seen enough from him to say, oh, well, if he's playing power forward, he's going to bring surplus value in X way. So yeah, he, he's definitely got to start at the three, I think, in baseline. Maybe he could finish some games at the four eventually is kind of how I see him. I don't see him starting at the four for anybody. He's done. He's not quite that size a combo forward guy. He would have to put on a lot of weight. And he also, he could rebound, but he's not going to protect the rim very much, I don't think. And like, that's it, what I was getting at with surplus yeah. value is, is there is defensive rebounding and weak side shot blocking and you know he can he can get there i'm not writing him off for those things he's i mean he's got decent block numbers for his size i will give him that decent block and steal numbers not amazing but decent so i think what one of the challenges with him is is just the idea of how he's going to do against better competition i wrote a piece years ago for real gm about the idea of how you translate what a guy does and the jumping competition just kills these combo forward guys a lot because it just gets so much better and the four game part is what worries me the most because he provided a lot of value with Duke in that way. But most of that is completely immaterial. It's it's garnish. It's nice garnish. It's good to have. You know, it makes the dish look better, but it's 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 not what you can build a starter level career on unless you get a whole hell of a lot better. Give you some more notes that I had. I think if we were projecting him as potentially an elite defender, I'd feel better about him as a top pick. I mean, getting a guy who can really defend, you know, one through four and do it really well. If you get a guy like that, who's like competent on offense, you know, then I actually wouldn't be at the end of the world taking him, you know, maybe four or five, just because that type of player is so valuable. I don't see him as an elite defender. I think he's going to be too slow to cover ones on switches particularly well. You know, not really that effective getting over screens. I mean, again, you know, that's where kind of the Otto Porter comparison comes in where I, you know, I don't see him checking the best wings on the other team. You know, is he going to guard James Harden? Is he going to do a great job on like Kevin Durant? You know, and obviously no rookie is going to do that. But eventually I just, he doesn't seem to have like an amazing defensive mentality, you know, not really very quick feet. You know, there are a lot of times where just, you know, he was trying to slide and just couldn't cut guys off. You know, he plays pretty upright, doesn't really get that, that deep into his stance. And some of that, of course, is technique. The guy's a freshman. But when you just see him, all right, this is a like max slide, move your feet as fast as you can for two, three, four slides and keep up with this guy. I didn't really see him able to do that uh, against some, some of the best players. Uh, few other things for him too his finishing at the rim i thought was pretty underwhelming now when he can kind of get a step on a guy and really extend out if there's not like a big man right in his way he can have some nice finishes when he can really extend especially off of one foot off of two feet i thought his leaping was pretty unimpressive and he just had a lot of plays where if there was any kind of resistance at all he was just kind of throwing it up there and just not really finishing me it was one of those guys where i mean there are certain guys that you see where you're like you see a guy go into help defense at the rim and you're like you know what this looks like it's gonna be a tough finish but i trust this dude like he's just a good finisher he's kind of the opposite of that like if there's any resistance when i was watching it on film and uh you know i watched probably you know half of his finishes in the year uh, around the rim and you know it got to the point where i'd see him go up with resistance and i'm like this isn't going in and most of the time i was right you know he wouldn't really do that well there you know, he maybe had like one or two impressive dunks all year and that was though even those were kind of ones where it's like all right the guy got there late you know he's not one of these guys that you look i mean i think he's an average nba athlete at best for for his position right now and maybe he'll improve that a, a little bit but uh so I mean, again, I, I like his skill level. I like his footwork. He's got like a sweet Dirk fadeaway going over his right shoulder. You know, his post-up stuff is good. But I mean, how often are you really going to be going to him in the post? You know, are you going to go to him five times a game? Or is it going to be like twice a game? You know, is he, how good is he going to be there? Uh, so I think that that's probably... Well, there's one more point I want to make. Yeah. Yeah. Positional scarcity. Sure. So the idea that even if he's not what many people hope and expect him to be, there are so few guys that you could play even rotation minutes at small forward right now in the league. 
that maybe you take him a few spots higher than his talent level sure. just because they're so hard to find. Now, that doesn't mean that you should push him from, I'm just picking numbers a little bit arbitrarily, from like 10 to 4 or something like that. But, you know, if you have guys in in the same tier, scarcity does really matter. So I haven't seen all the other guys yet. You know, maybe I'll start, I'll be unimpressed with everyone else. But just watching him, he doesn't look like someone where I'm like, oh, this guy is like a, a number three, number four, number five type of pick. Um you know, last year, which was considered a weak draft, for example, I would have had him below Jamal Murray and below Jalen Brown on my board. I think, you know, going back to thinking about that, you know, I think he probably, he might've been like, you know, a number five pick on my board last year, but you know, last year was not a good draft. This is supposed to be this awesome draft. So that's how I, I, I feel about him. I expected actually coming in that I was going to like him a lot more than I did. And I was just, I think his athleticism was probably what I found like most underwhelming. I was really hoping to see more from him in that category on both ends. And it just, it, it's just not really there to me. I liked him at Hoop Summit, but that was also playing against kind of a different group of guys. And it's, I, I, I didn't see enough from him this year to say, okay, so you showed those inklings. This is how it's going to work against NBA players. You know, like kind of the difference between him and let's say Jabari Parker, where Jabari Parker, I could see that path more clearly. Oh, yeah. I mean, and Jabari, like, so much more athletic than him, better shooter, you know, more explosive, uh... You know, yeah, just not even close to the same category guy as far as I'm concerned. So, I, I mean, I think, and I guess another thing that I would say too is like, even if we're talking about him as, all right, we hope that this guy can be like a solid three and D guy. That's why we're drafting him. He's got these tools. And then, you know, maybe he can give us some scoring as well. He's got a long way to go to even get to being a solid three and D guy. Like, I'm not sure that his spot up three pointer is going to get there. I mean, I, the free throw shooting is encouraging, but, you know, that's, I said, this with D'Angelo Russell when he was drafted that I felt if you have like for every area that you need to take like a big leap in and, and I'm not talking about a big leap even you know compared to how you are with NBA players but just sort of like a big leap in terms of, like what your skill development is for your age if you have a bunch of categories that you need to take a big leap in I think you know your chances if you're fulfilling your potential get to be lower because that's just like all right you know everything that you need to improve your chances of clicking all those boxes lessen and i feel like he's got a lot a lot of boxes improve. he's got to get more athletic he's got to get more intense on defense he's got to get a lot stronger if he wants to be a combo forward uh and he really has to improve his spot up shooting to be you know he needs to be a guy who's shooting the three in the high 30s at like a pretty good volume to me to end up justifying this pick when it seems like and maybe i'll change my mind as we look through all the other film when it seems like this is really supposed to be a loaded class with guys who do have superstar potential potentially and potential potentially god we need to end this podcast uh with guys who do have superstar potential i just i really would be very surprised if he gets to being a star player or a superstar type of player and that has to be concerning when you think about some of the teams that are picking in that you know that four to seven range because those teams could really benefit from a high upside guy considering where they are in the overall success process yeah like if i'm a team like orlando or phoenix where you really just don't have anyone with a ton of upside in the pipeline i mean maybe you could say chris is that or, or booker but you know i don't see either of those guys still you know, i think you need like another superstar ball handler type who can create shots if you're that type of team and you don't know how many chances you have to draft this high you know he wouldn't be the guy to look at i mean i think he can be a starter you know i'm not saying that like he's gonna be like a huge bust or a wasted pick or something but you know to me you draft like a solid kind of guy like this who's uh you know late in the top 10 like not top five all right i, th- I think we're we're about to unless you wanted to add anything no i'll just promo i mentioned this when we talked about them a little bit but my lakers offseason preview will be out in the you know in the near future and then also my wizards one came out today at sports illustrated all right don't forget about twitter and NBA show as well also our patreon account if you want to support this show and more importantly support the twitter NBA show patreon.com slash duncan larue and we are also doing a mailbag podcast that's going to drop on thursday exclusively for those patreon subscribers so you're definitely going to get something extra in addition to just supporting uh the continued efforts of the twitter NBA show which shall return for game one of the lottery victorious boston celtics playoff run in the eastern conference finals talk to you all tomorrow night
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.